0: Um, and it's my privilege today to share the word of God with you. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Um, but before we get to the text at hand, um, I'm just going to read uh, a brief introduction. And I'm going to set the introduction this way. Approximately 112 years ago in uh, France, uh, a two-term president known as Theodore Roosevelt spoke to a graduating class as a commencement speech. Um, And he basically gave a a speech called The Citizenship in a Republic. And it was a profound speech that's lingered through over a century. and, And one paragraph is what I'll share with you today that's relevant to the text at hand. I'll do that now. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. Who spends himself in a worthy cause. Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement. And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. So in a word, he's called these people who would have been born of leisure born of wealth, and he says, I know who you are, but based upon who you are and what you've been entrusted with, this is how you should live. And in a word, he says, engage. That summarizes the eight or nine page speech, which I've read several times, engage. And that translates to 1900 years before where the apostle Paul in a Roman prison inspired by the Spirit of God, writes back to his friends and brothers and sisters whom he labored with in tears in the city of Ephesus for three years, sharing them what Pastor Jim kind of commemorating song was about, the Word of God, the whole counsel of God, that these people born outside of the commonwealth of Israel would be able to know the God who created them. And died to save them. And so he spends in the letter. Chapter 1 and 2 and 3. Building up who they are. In Christ. And then he pivots. And said this is then. How you should live. In Christ. And we're coming to the concluding portion. Which is about battle. Spiritual warfare. Engage. For you will be engaged. By the enemy. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and it is with great gratitude that we come. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would do a work here today as it already has been present as we've sung worship songs to you. We pray, Father, that no one in the sound of my voice would leave here unclear about the imperative and dire reality that this life that we can see And touch and taste and hear and smell is not the only life there is. There is a spiritual life. There is an eternal life. There is a spiritual enemy. And Father, I pray for the Christian, we would be strengthened in you to engage in the battle that's before us when it comes. Lord, we don't have to go looking for a fight. For a fight will surely come looking for us. Help us to stand our ground in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So how I'm going to move through the passage today, it is 10 verses, as I've mentioned, is I'm going to um, read a first several verses and pick out the framework with which we'll unpack. And I'll unpack a little bit at a time and then we'll follow up the latter portion. And that's what we'll do right this moment. Finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I'll read that one more time. Finally, according to the uh, expository Bible commentary, that's a Greek phrase that says, for the rest. And what is he saying after six chapters of building up who the Christians in Ephesus really are and what they're to do? For the rest of your beasts until either Christ returns or you die and meet him. This is what you should do. Be strong in the Lord. Or if you say it in in an inverse way. Be regularly strengthened by your God. Because an enemy is coming. Be on your guard. For a fight is coming. Put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand. ...against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're going to make a big deal of that in a few moments. I'll read it one more time. The word of God says... Let me just... I know many of you are learned. Many of you are seasoned believers. So I say this with respect. But we all need to be reminded... ...in times that we are living in... ...that your enemy is not the president... Your enemy is not your neighbor. Your enemy is not the news commentator on CNBC or MSNBC. You have an enemy. If you feel the pressure of adversity, you are feeling correctly. But it's not a person. It's a spirit. And you're not going to... Combat or fight this enemy with your arm. That you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We're going to get into the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's a crescendo of organizational military structure. I will not spend more than eight seconds on that. Some people are going to do a whole ten books about (laughs) the principalities of this. Eight seconds. The devil is organized. You got it? He's coming for you on purpose. We should be aware of that. Therefore, he repeats himself in verse 13 um, from verse 11. Therefore, because you have an enemy who is not the president, who is not your neighbor, who is not your boss, who is not your spouse... Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if it comes, when it comes, you may be able to stand, there's that word again, your ground. And after you have done everything, oh, I'm going to make a big deal about that. After you have done everything, everything you got, it's going to take. To just stand your ground. We're going to stop there for a moment. And we're going to reveal the structure. Of the message. One. We must be strengthened. By God. Two. We must put on the full armor. Of God. Three. The devil has organized intentional schemes to sideline you, to wound you and cause you to be ineffective. If you are in Christ, my dear brothers and sisters, the devil cannot steal your soul. For Ephesians 1 declares you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. But he can and he will derail you from walking effectively. ...in Christ. And he does it all the time. Churches are filled with believers... ...who have been stunted... ...in their growth... ...and in their purpose... ...because a flaming dart... ...stuck them in the neck... ...because the shield of faith... ...was held up too late. Make no mistake... ...this is as real as it gets. This is the word of God... ...and we believe that... ...according to truth. It was a great little introduction... But Teddy Roosevelt, I don't think, knew Jesus. So that's a nice segue. But that's where his word can be burned. And the word of God will last forever. This is what the Bible is teaching us today, ladies and gentlemen. So, we're going to go back. So, one, we must be strengthened in God. Two, we must put on the full armor of God. Three, you have an enemy, the devil, and he's coming for you. Four, it's going to take everything you have when you are engaged upon to just stand. I don't know about you, but that that uh, takes a bit of my breath away. For those of you, many of you, I look out in the crowd and you've been believers longer than I've been alive. Or you've been believers longer. I've been a believer about 23 years, so about that. And you've you've been there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And maybe you're looking back and you've been sidelined. You've been stuck, fired upon, hurt, and you've been embittered and disillusioned with your faith. Or maybe you're in it now. Or maybe you're a young believer and you haven't quite tasted the dust and the sand and the sweat and the blood of the arena. But I'm in a growing conviction. And I think Pastor Jim, who's been at it far longer than I, would probably say he's not grown in conviction. He is at the conviction that there are no spectator seats in Christianity. The spectators are for the devil and his demons, the holy angels waiting for God's charge and the world to witness on how we engage. Our feet are in the sands of the arena. Christendom is a different story. There's plenty of spectator seats in that. But Christianity those who have been compelled by the Spirit of Christ, as Pastor Jim has unpacked for two or three Sundays in John 3, who have been born again and compelled to leave their familiar nets at the friendly shores of Galilee and follow the Lord into the unfriendly and unfamiliar sands of the arena. Those Christians don't get to sit out. We will engage in battle. And so we must be strengthened by the God who has won the war. Amen. So we're going to go back and we're going to talk just a moment or two. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Or as I've been saying, be strengthened by the Lord. The reason for this is simple. Unlike the other arenas of Christian discipleship, you cannot fake your dependence upon God in spiritual battle. Let me let me give you a few Ephesians arenas that you can fake your Christian walk in and get away for a couple of days. You still aren't pleasing the Lord if you're faking it. Church. You can come to church in your flesh and you can say all the right things about Jesus. You can amen and clap at all the right times. You can lift your hands as high as they'll go. No one will know the difference, but you're not relying on God in that moment. What's another place that Ephesians speaks to? Family. You could fake it in your family for a while. It'll come out in the wash eventually, but you could fake it with your wife, your husband, your kids. Go along to get along. Your job. That's in Ephesians as well. Kind of go through the motions. But when you are engaged upon by the devil, the enemy of your soul, you are stripped of all disillusionment that you somehow can win the battle in your own strength. We must rely on God when facing the devil. See, the thing about battle, and that's why I think the Lord has always called his people with promise, with protection. But he's given them a battle ever since the Garden of Eden. The serpent was allowed to come in. Then you had the people of Israel. They got the land of promise, but they had to go in and take it with fighting. Then you had Jesus talk about someone who gave it all. There was no one who suffered greater. So God has intended us to engage in battle so that we, A, realize our utter dependence upon him in no other arena that's like it, and B, the vanities that we think are important get stripped away in the fog of war. You know that you must and only care about your salvation and honoring your Lord when you're in battle. All the other stuff, all the little bickering that we do, that stuff doesn't matter when you're in war. You just want to survive. You just want to make it. You just want to stand your ground. We must be strengthened by our Lord. Prayer and the Bible, they don't become um routine disciplines that you'd rather you know do something else when you're in war when you're in spiritual war you 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 can't think about anything but praying because you know that if you don't pray you will not get out of bed that's what i'm talking about if anybody's here who's been there you could say quietly under your breath we're not calling response church amen but you can go ahead and just whisper it if anybody's been there when if you didn't have jesus me and my wife were talking about it last night because, of course, the Lord doesn't allow me to preach unless He throws me through the spin cycle. You know that's how it works. Pastor Jim can attest to that. So it hasn't been a pleasant week uh, for me. Um, and me and my wife were talking about how how there is, you know, things and moments that we face that literally all you can do is say the name Jesus. It's not magic. It's not a Christian Ouija board, but you are relying on the name of the Son of God to dispel the darkness because his name is powerful. You are trusting in the Word of God. You are quoting the Bible. It doesn't matter if you have a great memory, you're remembering what you what you can. Because you know that you're in a fight and you know that these aren't gonna get it done. The checkbook, not gonna matter. Who you know on Facebook won't stand up to the devil and his demons. You need the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. And church, you can't wait to get there. You wish they had three services. No, when you're in the battle, when, when things are going good, you know, hey, we can sleep in. You know, I mean, it's you know, it's church. They go sing the same songs. I've already know Brian. He already told me what they're gonna sing. I could just put it on the radio. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's I mean, it's like whatever. You know, we go out to breakfast. It's fine. When you good, that's that you could do that. You're tempted. You're not you you get tempted in the battle. But when you're a Christian, you incline yourself to needing God's strength because you are utterly clear. You can't stand your ground on your own strength. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So moving on to the second component, the armor of God. So the armor of God, I want to tell you what. What I would I discourage and I, I don't mean to fly in the face of anybody, I don't mean to strike any uh, accords of offense um, and I'm not being facetious. I mean that. Um, don't reduce the armor of God to a prayer. Please don't do that. I, I, I don't think that's effective. I don't think I think you're missing what's being spoken here in the word of God. We're going to get to unpacking the word of God here. Or excuse me, the armor of God. In just a moment. But don't just say, Lord, I'm putting on the helmet of salvation, the breast. Mm-mm. Our Lord is much more comprehensive than that. Our Lord wants all of you. So we're going to get to the armor of God and uh, uh, we'll do that now. So we'll pick up where the verses I left off, which is at 14. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. I'll read them all and we'll go back and unpack them with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let me tell you something that I believe to be true about Uh, A theme in the Bible. This isn't just an opinion. I'm here with my mentor who knows more about the Bible than I do. And I think it will stand up to muster. There is positional truth and practical truth. The armor of God I'm going to follow with those two um, frames of reference. The positional truth in Christ is what he has given you. What he has done for you and what you cannot lose nor can you earn. You can't make it better. You can't make it worse. It's wonderful. We can sing after having a horrible Christian week, amazing grace, just as loud as when we had a good Christian week. Amen? Go ahead and clap. Don't worry. Aloha wants to clap. Isn't that great? I mean that, that is great because, I mean, aside from Pastor Jim, I don't have all good Christian weeks. You know, <laughs> I, I, I have some weeks that, that are lower in performance, but because of the gift of God, which is not based on my works. I have been saved through faith in God, which was given to me as well. That's what Ephesians 2 is getting at. Even your faith to believe in Jesus was a gift. So that's positional. That's he uses the word adoption in Hebrews. One, excuse me, Ephesians 1. That's legally binding. You are his son or daughter through faith in Christ. Isn't that great? You getting beat up by the devil, you're still in the family. You standing strong, still in the family. You breaking weak and running like Peter, still in the family. That's positional truth. And so when we get to these pieces of armament that were looked at by the most likely palace guard, centurion type who was holding Paul there uh, as he was kind of a point of reference, you know, the regalia of a, of a Roman soldier um, we we 'll talk about that, but then there 's practical truth in the Bible that salvation that Paul exclaims is free is a gift costs christ everything in in ephesians two what was he saying in Philippians two come on y'all Bible quiz time Philippians two he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling oh what what I thought wait I thought i didn 't have to do anything. Wait a minute what I'm I'm nervous, I'm upset, I'm confused. Is it a contradiction? It's not a contradiction, it's a compliment. What he's saying is this. The positional truth is you are in Christ, adopted, forgiven of your sins, reborn and reconciled to God permanently by what he's done on the cross and as his resurrection, praise him. But you are going to have to engage in your relationship with him. And it's going to be tough. And so when he talks about the armor of God, he's saying cinch up that belt of truth. We don't have to get cute. I know I know people make a lot of money on the little armaments. Uh, okay. But uh, we don't need to get too stuck on, on, on individual aspects of the regalia. What he's saying is if you're a soldier and you're in battle, you don't come with your belt all loose like you just had a big old uh, family buffet. You know, just kind of, you know what I'm saying? Hey, you know, just hanging out. You cinch that thing up. And what is the truth? What's the positional truth? That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That his word of God will last forever. That I am rooted and forgiven and sealed in him. What's the practical truth? I need to keep it real with God and real with you. He desires truth in your inward being. He already knows you. So don't come to him playing around about who you think you are. Just be who you are in front of him and ask him to change you to whom he wants you to be. He desires truth in the inward being. That's how you get ready. That's how you begin to take your stand against the enemy. Because the enemy will get you wanting to compromise. We'll talk about some of his schemes in a moment. Remember, that was another piece of the structure. Secondly, he says, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. What well, we know about righteousness, everybody loves to use the word imputed. Don't you just love that word? Uh, wake up on Monday morning and say, I have imputed righteousness. Come on, you guys can laugh a little bit. You guys are too serious. All right, just, just stretch out a little bit. We're talking about heavy stuff, but a little breath of fresh air can still be helpful. Okay, so <laughs> I'll take off my suit coat. Okay, so imputed righteousness means what? <clears throat> it means it's accredited. Jesus Christ incarnated and fleshed himself. He took the test. And he passed with flying colors and he died in your place and he gave you his A+. plus. Righteousness can be defined in two biblical ways. One, a right standing before God. You're born and you don't have that. And there's no amount of good works that will get you that. You can't be good enough to climb the staircase to heaven. Two, right actions unto God. When you have become born again in Christ, you have been accredited His right standing with God. You now have positional right standing with God. Your breastplate is firm. The devil will try to attack you. Well, if you really were a Christian, you would have never said that in traffic. And He gets you to doubt your positional truth. Now you got chinks in your armor. You you don't want to go to church. You don't want to open the Bible. You start straying from things. Now with that guilt from your distance and from who you should be walking in, you start doing more sins. And then the cycle continues. And now you're sidelined and you have to be resuscitated. You have to have triage and we'll come and get you at Lake Bible. We'll come and get you. We believe in going after the one sheep in the bramble bushes. We'll come and get you. But you got all the thorns and stuff stuck up in your your sheep, you know, the little wool. It's all in your neck and stuff. You dirty, you smell, you know what I'm saying? It's okay, we'll take you back though. But I'm just saying, that's what happens. Your your positional truth becomes in question when the devil throws that dart at you, doesn't he? Because you, you didn't walk. But your practical truth is, guess what? You're serious about pleasing the Father in everything you do. That's how you take your stand. That's how you fix the breastplate of righteousness. you you reminded regularly whose you are but then you ask him for strength to live like it. Amen. You guys still with me? Have I lost you? Okay. I'm going to lose myself here in a moment. All right. So we move on then from the breastplate of righteousness. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I almost want to uh, spoil my, my clean flow and, and talk about a scheme of the devil right here. Uh, and I'm going to do that. The readiness, some of you were athletes, some of you might have even been in the military. Um, Readiness is a state of preparedness. I'm ready to go, Lord. Put me in, coach. I got my shoes laced up. I'm ready to participate in the Great Commission. You want me to tell somebody about Jesus? I'm ready to do it. You want me to serve in a committee or 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 something, I'm ready to do it. You want me to humble myself and, and, and clean up the dishes after a long day, I'm ready to do it. Whatever you need me to do, Lord, because I've been saved by you and for you, I'm ready to do it. My feet are ready. See, the devil's scheme is what does he do? What's the contradiction of that? Complacency. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is what I'm going to do when I get out this sermon. I'm going to unlace the shoes. They're a little tight. These aren't my normal everyday wear. And I'm gonna kind of sit down. Maybe the belt gets a little looser after lunch, and we're gonna sit down. And then the more I sit, the more I want to sit. You ever been there? You've not been there. See, you guys aren't human. You guys are all angelic. But for me, if I sit down, that everybody knows in my family. When I sit down in in, in the lazy boy, that's about the end of the day. I don't. I I work hard. I get four or five in the morning. But once I once that's it. It's about all all she wrote. Because once you sit down, you want to stay seated. Once you back away from the Lord's state of readiness and you take that flaming dart, this one's more of a tranquilizer dart. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, I'm just a little too old for that, you know. I've already kind of been down that road before, so, yeah, I don't participate. Uh, you know, I'm a little too young for that. I just don't feel I have the knowledge and, and I just think somebody else will be more suited Oh, you know, I'm a little too middle-aged. I got a lot going on for that. And so we always got to age. For <laughs> Basically what you're saying is, I can't do it. And let me tell you why. I got a lot of compelling reasons why. The devil's tranquilizer poisons up in your brain and, and saying, uh, I took my shoes off. So you're going to get to take your shoes off when you die. That, that's when you get to take them off. Uh, that, that's when the Lord has decommissioned you. See, in the military, you serve uh, a, 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 an enlistment period and make no mistake I got the military in my family I personally have not served although I hold, hold them in high regard you won't do what they say for that enlistment period but when that enlistment period is done you could choose to re-up or go be a civilian do what you want you can put it you can, you can wear flip-flops if you want you know your military boots, dec- decommission them with Jesus not like that Pastor Jim can attest. He gave his life at eight. He's, you know, he's only 47, but he's still having to, having to, having to, having to serve the Lord. You know, the Lord, he not decom. you know, the Lord, he says, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, it won't be secret. There's no mystery in this. I'll tell you when you're decommissioned because you, I'll tell you to your face because you'll be dead. You'll be in heaven. That's when you can take off your shoes. Now the way you, the way you show up in your readiness may be different in different seasons of your life. Oh, that's for sure. We can nuance that. But you get decommissioned when you die. Don't let the devil tell you otherwise. Then he moves on and he says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This kind of encapsulates it. Uh, Romans ten seventeen tells us that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's one of the reasons why Pastor Jim has set this church to teach the word of God without compromise relentlessly and unapologetically. Because how else is the believer going to be renewed in the faith that is going to shield them from the fire? That's why I love the word of God. I love to come to church. I can't wait to hear what somebody got to say about God as long as it's right and true. I need that because I'm in the battle. I'm in the fight. And I need that nourishment. So I can continue to stand against all the nonsense that's out there. Don't you just love the truth? Let me. Let me tell you another scheme of the devil. I, I'm not going with a linear. It's more of an inductive approach. We're going to swoop in here. And another scheme of the devil is to sideline the Christian through complaining about what's wrong with the world. Ooh, you like to do that? You like to like to find that? That's not a spiritual discipline. That's not a spiritual discipline. You like well, I'm very disciplined. I, I watch the news and I cuss everybody out. That, that, that's, that's not a spiritual discipline. Let me tell you what that does. That helps it coincides with complacency. It's too bad out there. You know, the world just ain't what it used to be. Boy, I tell you, just don't know what we can do. Whew. Yeah. And as you saying that, you sitting down, loosening that belt, taking them shoes off. I tell you what you can do. You can be strengthened by the Lord's truth, by the news that's always good, that's always relevant, that's always pure. And you can be renewed in the spirit of your mind and say, God, I don't know what the world is going to do, but I know what I'm going to do in the world. Amen. I know that the divorce rates through the roof, but you know what? I'm going to stay married. Even if it's hard. And it's only hard because I'm imperfect. Wendy's not here. She is perfect, but I'm I'm imperfect. That that's what makes my marriage hard. You know, I know people leave their kids and they just leave them abandoned. I'm going to stay a father. They can call on me. I'm going to stand my ground. I know that I know that people like to talk bad about their employers and, and circumvent the system. I'm going to try to to be honest and respect my my boss. Aren't you? That's how we stand, but we got to do it in the strength of the Lord because the the onslaught is here. The circumstances are clear. The world's not getting better. Quit waiting for it to get better for you to engage. The shield of, of faith puts to naught those flaming darts of the wicked one. Because I have something to compare it to It's the word of God Praise the Lord, amen I know that this too will pass Because the Bible tells me to number my days I know that this too will pass Because the Bible says my life is but a vapor I know that I have a promise from God Who has never lied That I'm going to be with him forever That's going to help me when maybe they take my house or they say, I can't preach anymore. I got to go back to jail or I don't know what's going to happen. It really doesn't matter. In the big scheme of things, it really just doesn't matter. What matters is that I stand my ground in Christ till I die. That's what matters to me. That's going to get you up in the morning. Not what the stock market's doing. That's not going to get you up in the morning. It might keep you up at night. The flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet of salvation, we've already kind of alluded to that. Obviously, the root of salvation is a gift given to us by God in Christ. We receive that. We don't need to make a much a big about, oh, it blocks the brain. And you know? Just the point is that it's a piece of the armament. You need to be saved. I speak now and forever mostly to those who are saved. Be strengthened in the Lord so that you can stand against the evil one. But if there is anybody here today who has not asked Jesus Christ to forgive you for your sinfulness against him and put your trust in him to save you, then you don't have salvation. You don't have it. And you need to think about getting it. And the way you get it is by repenting and saying, Lord, this message about you rings true. And I have offended you and sinned against you. And I ask your forgiveness. And Jesus, would you cleanse me in your blood? And I believe that you did die for me and rise again and take me and make me yours. And I want to be a soldier in your army. I want to be a son or daughter in your family. I want to have the assurance of salvation. And you do that right here, right now. Then you have salvation. For those of us, most of us have salvation. We just need to walk in Philippians 2 and 3 and be reminded of that. Working it out. That is such a precious gift. Sometimes we end up and that's another thing. So the three things that the devil scheme, we're almost done. I'm going to say the latter two verses for my closing uh, two or three minutes. The three main schemes of the devil, and there are many more. I'm not giving an exhaustive list here. Corruption. Complacency and compromise. Corruption would be, collect- and both of these are collective and individual. Collective, what's corruption? False teaching. Getting you to believe something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. That will corrupt you as a believer and it will corrupt the church quicker than you know. Jesus often used the bread baking metaphor and said, be careful of that leaving, that yeast. Because all it takes is just a little bit. And it's gonna mess up the whole dough. Now, of course, if you're trying to bake bread, then you want the yeast. But, but if you're trying to walk straight with God, you don't want to leave room for false teaching. Maybe, 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 maybe we're too harsh about this Jesus being the only way kind of stuff. Maybe we get more people. We could, we could probably build a a second auditorium, maybe a balcony. Maybe get that third phase out there if we just, if we, if we just nuance that message a little bit. Couldn't we? Couldn't we just say that Jesus and other people and things and ideas are a way to get to heaven? No, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life and no one can see God except through him. Maybe I can I can have my cake and eat it too. easy believism. I gave my life to Jesus at seven. It was like a nine second prayer and now I do whatever I want. I know I'm going to heaven. Mm-mm, you didn't understand the gospel. It's not a workspace gospel, but if you are going to give your life to Christ, you are signing your life away. You don't get to tell God where you're gonna eat, sleep, who you're gonna marry, where you're gonna work, how sick or healthy you're gonna be. You've given Him the rights to that. So take, count the cost. I'm working with a man. He, he's not here today. Of course not. But anyway, it have been great if he was. But, but, uh, I said, he said, I'm a little scared. Because I don't want to get in and back out, I said, "Well, good. You you listening to Jesus in Luke 14? Well, some of the Christians don't do that. Count that cost. It's going to cost you everything. So, corruption, false teaching will corrupt the church and your own faith. Be on guard against it. Measure truth against the Word of God, rightly interpreted. Complacency we've already got at, so I won't. I won't be redundant. Corruption." Or excuse me, compromise is the idea of personal and collective sins that we adopt as habits or excusable, um, you know, eccentricities. We are needing holiness. Holiness is not about us being perfect in our own strength, but it is about us looking honestly at the mirror of the word of God and saying, Lord, test my heart. Both as a person and as a people. Reveal anything that's displeasing to you and help me have the courage to remove it from my life with your help. That's not going to be an overnight practice. Sometimes you may struggle with that for years. I struggle with anger. That stuff doesn't just go away in one prayer. But the point is, is you got to own your stuff before the Lord. Don't get into a posture where you're compromising and then writing a new book of the Bible to justify it. That's very that's that, that overlaps with false teaching, but it's this idea that uh uh what Jesus really meant was <laughs> no no, he meant what he said, you're stepping out of bounds, there's forgiveness and grace at the table if you repent. All right, so we've talked about some of the schemes of the devil. We talked about relying on the strength of God to take our stand. And as we move on to the latter parts, we're gonna talk about prayer and boldness, and then we'll close. He says this, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. In Ephesians alone, there are two recorded prayers of the Apostle Paul for the the church at Ephesus. Great prayers. I would would strongly encourage you to read them. I would challenge you, if you don't hear one thing I, I say today, Think about what you pray for. Are your prayers reduced only to petitions? God heal my mama. God give me a job. God fix my car. Petitions are a beautiful form of trust in God and God wants to hear our petitions. But do we pray for spiritual growth? Do we pray that our neighbor would become brokenhearted over their sin that they may come to know Jesus? Do we weep for the lost? Do we pray for our brothers in, uh, in persecuted countries? Do we, do we pray for one another? We pray for our spouses. Do we pray for our children that they may come to know the Lord? What do we pray about? Do we take prayer seriously? Because the Word of God takes it very seriously. God takes prayer seriously, as should we. He says, pray also for me. We're going to close with this boldness to proclaim the gospel that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You realize that in the context, the apostle Paul was going to get beheaded by the emperor Nero. That's how that was going to end for him. That's how that was going to end for him. But that's what he asked for. Let me proclaim the word of God fearlessly. Sometimes we're afraid of an awkward conversation at the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I'm not making light of that because I've been there. And most of my family doesn't believe in Jesus. And it is awkward. And I get a little bit timid about that. But you got to ask God for, for courage. Pray for one another that your witnessing opportunities wouldn't be passed by because of fear. So in closing, I remind you simply this, we must be strengthened by our God to stand our ground against the devil. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word and we pray that it would be nourishing for the saints, challenging for those who are not yet in you, that they would consider where their life lies. We praise you, God, for your faithfulness to us and that even when we miss it, You are gracious and you provide the way of repentance and and, and a full measure of your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.